Your first eight guys maybe should be blue plate specials, but those back five guys, they should be more like tin hats, more guys that are grunt players, garbage players that dive for the ball. You are listening to the Scrambled Eggs Podcast on CrackedSidewalks.com. Happy holidays, everyone, and welcome into Scrambled Eggs, your unofficial Marquette basketball podcast here on CrackedSidewalks.com. Joe McCann, Phil Bush here with you once again, and I guess uh, therapy time, Phil? Um, yeah, I guess we got to pull that couch back out of the closet from uh, the post-Wisconsin pod and, and have, a, have a conversation. Yeah, I guess for pods like this, would we refer to you as Dr. Phil, perhaps? Oh, please, no. I have a full head of hair... <laughs> Thank you. I, I mean, and that's the that's the most flattering of the unflattering uh, comparisons between the two of us. All right. So in today's podcast, we're basically going to have three questions. One, what the heck happened? Two, is it time to dial back expectations or not? And three, what's next? So we're going to talk basically about the Georgetown game briefly, and hopefully that'll be it, because we are going to hope to get a fresh pod in after Christmas to talk about what should be a very big game against the Creighton Blue Jays. But as you all are very well aware by now, uh, Marquette's title defense of its Big East Championship got off to quite a rocky start on Tuesday evening as they went to the building formerly known as the Dunk and just got blown away by the Providence Friars, 72-57, to a game that really wasn't competitive once you got about past the 10-12 to minute mark in the first half. Uh, Phil... Let's just start with a simple question. What happened to the Golden Eagles in the Big East opener? Um, I think their brains got in the way, honestly. And I, and I think this is a bit of a, a spoiler alert for the, uh, um, for the future discussion. But I, I'm, obviously I'm not happy about the result last night but, or uh, Tuesday night. But I, like, I'm not as down. Like crazy stuff happens. Bad stuff happens. I don't think the team is broken or, or scouted or something like that. But like it felt like their brains were broken and and i get that it's probably nightmarish difficult to uh to play in the dunk slash amp but uh yeah I, especially cam jones not to put it on any one player because it was a whole bunch of them but they just dumb mistakes all over the place and and you know just didn't seem ready for the moment which you would expect for a number six team in the country you would expect them to be ready for the moment i don't know what do you think went wrong? Yeah, I, I guess without diving into stats, first just gut takeaways. One, I, I I think they played way too fast sometimes. I think they sped up a lot. Uh, I don't think they shared the ball the way they normally do. I thought they really tried to just drive to the basket and get shots up that just weren't falling. Uh, they were not ready for Providence's defense, which is top ten in the country on Ken Palm. Providence defended exceptionally well. you got to give it to them. Uh the officiating, while not in their favor, was not in a deciding factor in the game because you lost by 15. Uh, but it didn't help to uh, to uh, to do uh, yeah, my best. The, the uh, I, like just to get the the officiating out of the way, I would say Marquette did not lose because of the officiating, but it certainly didn't help them to win either. Like you know, yeah. it is what it is. It wasn't any better or worse than any other officiated game. Would I, if I thought she would open the email and do something about it, would I spend time packaging up a bunch of clips from last night and sending it to Val Ackerman at the Big East office and say, do something about this? Yes, yes, I would. But also, it didn't make the it didn't it didn't decide the game. 
Yeah, to modify a Tobias Fumke quote, I don't want to blame it all on the officiating, but it certainly didn't help. Yes. The I, 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 So I, I just want to say one thing about the officiating, and then we'll move on. Again, I want to emphasize the officials did not beat Marquette on Tuesday night, but that flagrant foul call still has me boiling a little bit. Now, okay, as the lovely Providence fans in my mentions have pointed out, the foul call was not on the replay that has been going around Twitter. It was like 10 to 15 seconds before that where uh, it looked like Oso got hit on a screen and then his arm did go up into the Providence player and catch him under the neck. Um, And that's what they went back and reviewed. And I guess my question is, how far back are we going to rewind on calls that were not called and then say, okay, we're going to add a flagrant foul now? Because if they had never called the foul on Chase Ross... And like, say they had played two more possessions after that before a whistle, then would they have gone to the monitor and then added that foul? I that's that's my issue now with it. Initially, it's like, yeah, well, I don't see it. Okay, now that I see that there was something that you could review, my question is, why didn't you blow the whistle initially? If you saw a guy's head jerk back, blow the whistle, and then you can go to the monitor and say, okay, there was nothing there, or you can call the foul. My issue is, how far back can we rewind on calls that do not get a whistle? Well, and, and I think fundamentally what was so weird about it and why, why people got so up in arms or uncomfortable with it, I mean, what is simply that you you almost never see a flagrant one that isn't the result of a common foul call in the first place, right? Like mechanically, if there's a foul, they call the foul and then they go and assess, oh, hey, this is a flagrant one. No. Right. I think they did everything in the rule book correctly. Like, it's weird. I I agree with your premise of like, what's the statute of limitations on reviewing flagrant ones that weren't called in the moment? Um, But mechanically, everything was quote unquote correct. It's still odd and I hate it. And, you know, I think Paint Touch has even called this out on Twitter, but has the statue of limitations run out on Carter getting an elbow up into Joplin's grill in the first half when they were, uh, when, when Carter was, was kind of carrying it down the court and Joplin went down and the ref is staring at it and didn't even, like, didn't even call a common foul, let alone, hey, let's look and see, see if, if Joplin got anything in the chops. Like, Again, didn't lose because of it, but yes, that 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 is just a bonkers scenario that that's a possibility. And, f- that and is four free throws in the ball the right call there? It is because because the 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 flagrant foul can be considered an extraordinary foul that so they stopped play because of the common foul and assessed a flagrant foul in addition, and the flagrant foul carries two balls or two, two free throws, excuse me, and and the ball and the common foul. So you got to adjudicate both situations because it's not like the common foul didn't happen as a result of the flagrant foul. Both things happened. Um, so both penalties have to be assessed. Now, I think it ultimately ended up being a six or a seven point swing. So it's insane. And I think that that needs to be addressed in the off season. Because it happens so infrequently, nobody really pays attention to it, but it's stupid. But I do think mechanically they did everything correctly. All right, fair enough. And, and, Let's get back but to the I other did reason. enjoy I did enjoy John Fanta being confused. Like what what Yeah. What? Anyway. <laughs> I, I was I was confused as well. But okay, let's get back to the real reasons why Marquette lost the game. Um 
how much is the lack of Stevie Mitchell a factor here? I, I think they great like gravely miss Stevie. I think for people who have wondered what Marquette's uh, would look like if Stevie Mitchell got fewer minutes because obviously he's been struggling shooting the ball. Well, we got the answer there, and it's an answer that we didn't like. Right. Um, but I, I'm not sure Stevie makes up 15 points in that game. But that's I, I think his lack of leadership, his lack of intensity on defense. Uh, certainly hurt in some regard. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't think the defense was bad. So I, I, I think the defense would have been, would have been good or above average with Stevie Mitchell, and that's probably where we miss him the most. I also think Stevie is a very smart player. Not that the other players aren't smart, but I think he's a very intelligent, cerebral player, and is is going to make the right. He may not make the shot, but he's going to make the right plays on on the offensive end of the ball he's going to be in the right space um so so i think that would have had a an impact on both ends of the floor but i think the biggest impact is just the minutes right like especially when you look at chase ross thank you sweet baby jesus for protecting my boy and and allowing him back out on the court but like you know from a minutes distribution standpoint um i think it's clear stevie's not going to get wally pipped one and two um, like that was the biggest thing for Marquette was just what are the options if Chase doesn't have it going or is or is injured and Stevie's not available. Like we're looking at freshmen that are clearly not ready to be major contributors freshmen. So like you're running Sean Jones, Tyler Cola, Cam Jones, Oso and Joplin. Like that's all we really have left at that point. So. Uh, maybe Ben Gold, right? But Ben Gold did not have a good game either. Um, so yeah, I think it was the minutes distribution. What, what what do you think the biggest miss from Stevie was? I think you touched on it already. I think it just leadership, and yeah, we did not turn Providence over the way I, I thought Marquette would turn Providence over. I, I I think with Stevie out there, maybe you do get a few more turnovers. Maybe you get a few better decisions defending some of those three-point shots. The, uh, Marquette was called for how many? Three, three. fouls on three-point shooters, yep. including some that were just way late in the shot clock on shots that had no chance of going in. Um, I don't know if it's impossible to say if Stevie would have been the defender on those, but might have been. Even if it's just one of them, there might be two or three points that you get back. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I think you touched on some when some of these younger guys do get sped up, uh, they make mistakes, and uh, those are mistakes maybe Stevie doesn't make quite as much. And plus, Stevie's an extra ball handler too. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, uh, and you miss that. But yeah, when I, I was with you, that like when Chase went down towards the end of the first, because when Chase went down, it was only like a six point game, right? Uh, and he was driving to make it four, and then he goes down, turns an ankle. He looks like he's not coming back at all, and then uh, they get a bucket five on four and then there's that foul on the three-pointer and all of a sudden you're down double digits at the half at that point i thought the game was over but then chase ross came back and i was hopeful for the second half uh but then it didn't happen well but and, i mean yeah i i agree well and and uh, one of the now it didn't hurt too bad but like cam jones had one of the one of his inexplicable decisions on the night going into halftime was that um uh, was when he, at the logo, Carter took a heave of a three with like two seconds left on the clock and, and Cam fouled him. Um, that was just inexplicable. Um, right. So so that was, you know, again, a point swing. And again, um, 
and, and the second half, I mean, one of the things I think we forget because of how the last 10 minutes the second half went, Marquette narrowed the lead to four with with 17, like 26 left to go in the second half. You know, Tyler Kolick went and hit a three, got it to 40-36, and then Devin Carter came down and hit three in response, um, and Cam Jones came right back um, and turned the ball over, and then, you know, it kind of just stayed out of reach the rest of the way. Like, it was a mini version of the Wisconsin game where Marquette got within one um, and Joplin got called for the foul, and, and then it wasn't close after that. Um, so I, I think there was an opportunity. But again, I like I don't want to pin it on Cam Jones, but I do think we need to call out a little bit. Like, Cam just had a bad night. Oso had a bad night. And, and if we've got Tyler playing well and Oso and Cam playing poorly, like, we don't have a four, five, six player on the bench that can make that up, especially if, you know, especially if somebody like Chase Ross is playing on one league in the second half, which was one aside, do we have the varsity blues, like doctor working on our bench? Because between Tyler Kolick's ankle, which, you know, as the, as the uh, Norlander parish team mentioned, they they're convinced it was never actually hurt and Chase Ross being carried off the court in the first half and coming back and playing in the second half. I don't know how we recover from these injuries, but Holy crap. But yes, we had bad. We had some bad performances from some key players. I think is the biggest issue. Well, I I will say if the if, the, if we do have the varsity blues doctor, apparently doesn't work on hamstrings. No. We can't get Stevie back out there. That's true. But uh, but I, I will like say like yeah, maybe Cam had some mistakes in the game, but he was also the second leading scorer. Right. I mean, Tyler led them all with twenty one. Cam had thirteen. After that, Oso had eleven. Nobody else had more than five. I mean, you only got six points off your bench, three from Sean Jones and, and three from Trey Norman. No other points off the bench. Joplin only had five. Chase Ross only had a point. So, yeah, while it wasn't Kim's best game, I thought he also kept Marquette in it for, with some of the shots he did hit. Uh, so, yeah, he was five of 14 from the floor, so maybe not his best night. He was only one of six from three. But, um, yeah, I would say the only player individually who really did have a good night was Tyler. Right. He was... 21 9 and 5. One well, and Kim had five turnovers too, right? Like if if you yeah. if you look at it from a missed shots and a turnover standpoint, like that's a lot of it. And also had a bad a bad game because again, you know, when we narrowed it to 40 36, you know, Cam uh, uh, came down and, and had a turnover, then we gave up a bucket, then also came down and plowed into Oduro, who Again, not to make it about the refs, Oduro flopped in that play, right? Where, where, but Oso lowered his shoulder and went into him. You're gonna get called for that every single time, regardless of you know Oduro yeah. just seeming to have his bones evaporate, right? But you know, it was just a bad, unintelligent play that drew a foul and caused a turnover. That it was just bad basketball. Yeah, I, I think there were plenty of mistakes. To go around in that game, and and again, I think the I think the crowd got in their head too. Yeah, because uh, I think a lot of times they like I've said it a couple times already. They they just played too fast sometimes, and they were just charging at the basket trying to get layups that just weren't there, or just firing up threes that weren't there. They were four of twenty from three, so lots of mistakes to go around. And uh, you also just hats off to Providence; they just bullied Marquette, and were just very active on defense and played played uh, an excellent game and just basically kicked Marquette's butt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. That's really... It was a really, resounding uh, defeat, for sure. 
Yeah, they, it was an absolute no doubter. Uh, I, I, it unfortunately, it, similar to the Wisconsin game, while for like seventy five percent of the game, I was still thinking Marquette was the better team, but there was never any evidence that they were. Like there was never a time where Marquette looked like the better team within those forty minutes. Providence looked like the better team from tip to buzzer. Yeah, one, and I will say this: like I think this is a sterling example of. Like, we go from the hunter to the hunted, right? Like, last season, you know, the crowd, it, it's probably not a sellout crowd, you know, last year, simply because, eh, it's a Tuesday night, da-da-da-da-da, it's Marquette, they're not picked to finish very high, eh, maybe I'm not going to go to the game. But now you're playing a number six team in the country, um, there's a bit of, you know, again, I wouldn't call it a rivalry, but there is... A bit of a feud slash weirdness about this that kind of makes it a much much must see. So it's a sold out, revved up crowd, um, and and whether that got into their heads and contributed, you know, it's only up to them to say. But it sure looked like it rattled them, right? And that's something they're going to have to to figure out, right? You could argue they looked rattled in the Wisconsin game on the road. They looked rattled um, in this Providence game. They're going to go into a lot of away arenas in the Big East. And if, you know, especially if they keep their ranking high, there's going to be a lot of revved up crowds that are going to want to, you know, want to get in their ear and they're going to have to figure out how to play through it. Everybody, lo- yeah, exactly. Everybody loves to see an upset. So when you've got a single digit next to your name, that's going to bring the crowds out. So hey, let's beat a top 10 team. I mean, team. that, defi- that and- defined the Wojo era. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we yeah. lived to that. <laughs> We, we we did, and uh, I, I don't think Marquette's going to have a single digit next to its name the next time it goes out. But um, it it's, should be ranked all season, I would hope. But yeah, t- when you're picked to win the league or finish top two in the league in the preseason, opposing teams are going to beat you, and there are enough teams in this league that can. Um, and Providence was certainly one of them. Providence probably a better team than we thought they would be coming in. We'll see if they'll, they're able to keep up this pace because they've uh, they've done this to a few teams, including Wisconsin this year. Uh, just kind of smoked them with their defense. So maybe Providence is a team that can get to the tournament. But So they blew up Marquette on, uh, on Tuesday night. But I guess the big picture thing, Phil, which was a topic on both on Twitter X and also in our little group chat with all of our hashtag MUBB friends, uh, is it time to dial back expectations a little bit? Were we too high on this team, or was this just a blip on the radar that leaves you unfazed? You, you know, you're you're asking me, so I'll go first. Um, I don't think I think it's it's something that we have to keep our eye on, but I'm not I'm not panicked. Again, I think I don't want to take anything away from Providence or Wisconsin or whatever. Um, and say, oh, hey, you know, they just got lucky or whatever. But also, I, I think we really beat ourselves in those games. I don't know that we're figured out. I just think, you know, we've got some growing pains and seasons have ups and downs. And we're in a bit of a down right now, especially, you know, we're literally down a starter. So I don't know that I'm at all panicked or like adjusting expectations. I still think this has all the pieces, assuming we're healthy, to be a Final Four team. But I, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, so when you say, are they a Final Four team, there are two ways to interpret that question. One is the literal definition of, are they good enough to win four games in March? Right? Because right. 
FAU and San Diego State won four games in March last year, and they got to the Final Four. So they were, by definition, Final Four teams. Shaka Smart took a VCU team from the first four to the Final Four. By definition, that was a Final Four team. Can Marquette win four games in March? Absolutely, they can. There are much worse teams than this Marquette team that have won four games in March. But there's also a connotation when you ask, is this a Final Four team? And the connotation of it is, is this one of the elite teams in the country? Is this a top four team, in the, a top five, uh, maybe seven, eight team in the country? That I'm less sure about right now. Like, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to use the phrase national title contender for a while. Um, I... I They've had two road games since Maui and been more or less non-competitive in both of them. They, uh, Their flaws rebounding the ball have showed in both of those games. Uh, the the three-point shooting, which we've kind of brushed aside for you know five, six, seven games, now that we're at a dozen games, almost the halfway point, Marquette has two elite three-point shooters, and I'm not sure a whole lot beyond that. And for an offense that's based on threes and dunks, I think you would hope for a little more than two elite shooters. Now, you've got Joplin, who's at 36%, which is fine. So he's a a guy you can still trust to shoot the ball. But um, I think teams are figuring out that whoever the third guard is, is a guy you can leave, uh, a guy you can sag off of and help, whether it's your doubling Tyler or Cam or just doubling on Oso to try take him out of the game. Because when you take Oso out of the game, I think the rest of the offense falls apart. But again, whoever the third guard is, whether it's Sean, Stevie, or Chase, uh, teams are not afraid of letting them shoot right now. And it's working out for them. There's still plenty of room to grow. There's 19 Big East games left. But uh, I, I will. I guess what I'm saying is I am dialing back the national championship talk until, I don't know, maybe they do take some steps forward and maybe a third or fourth option emerges offensively um, and we'll see how the return of Stevie Mitchell helps the team overall but um, the back-to-back road I don't know if blowout's the right term but back-to-back road convincing losses have me a touch worried uh, I don't know if I'm worried is maybe just touch aware that this team has some growing to do because um, I mean we were top of the world after Maui despite the loss to Purdue which was a close loss to a team that's going to be number that's number one in the country but since Maui um, went to Wisconsin kind of got beat up you, you bounce back to beat a Texas team that are they still in the top 25 or are they falling they're, they're uh, the out. UCLA game yeah the UCLA win has aged like milk. UCLA does not look like anything close to a tournament team. Um, you beat a Notre Dame team, yes, that just lost to the Citadel. You had to fight to beat St. Thomas. And then you had this Providence game. So I, I think there are some flaws that need fixing that have me, again, maybe walking back national championship talk for a little while. But again, there are worse teams than this that have reached a Final Four. Yeah, I think the challenge is, and I think you, you hit on it pretty well, and, and maybe we need to articulate this, like, in terms of, like, Biggie's title and or, you know, regular season championship versus, you know, the, the national title or the Final Four. Because, uh, you know, the, the using the tournament as the metric is always a challenge because, it's a one-off, right? Like if you played, you know, there are countless times. That's why we love March so much. There's countless times where a team that UMBC, right? Like 
nine times nine 9.9 times out of 10 they're going to lose to Virginia right but they had that one game where they where they just played better and Virginia played bad and and so that you got that upset right um so maybe maybe the metric isn't hey are they a final four team are they a national title team cuz even you know if they get the right breaks if they're healthy I think it's very easy to see, hey, with the right luck, they could make it to a national title game. I think the question we should be asking ourselves is, you know, let's assume Stevie Mitchell comes back at some point. Is there some fundamental issue with this team that we weren't seeing in the preseason that would prevent it from making, you know, from, you know, defending the, the Big East regular season title? Like, is there something broken has have people figured something out i don't think they have i think i think just as individual players we're seeing players not playing great basketball right now i think schematically approach both offense and defense um i think we don't need to change things it's not like you know nevada and shaka have to go create a whole new offense right i think what we've got works we just have to get you know the players just have to execute it you know, from an output standpoint in terms of scoring. Um, because, and the reason I say that is in each of the games you talked about over the last five weeks or five games where we've struggled or issues or or whatever, it's not like it's the same thing that's impacting us. Wisconsin was, was rebounding and poor shooting. Um, St. Thomas was bad defense, which, you know, maybe human nature got us. Providence was clearly, you know, just not able to hit shots, bad offense, getting rattled, whatever. There, there was there was different attributes there. So, I, I guess, do you think the there's something that needs to change to say, hey, I think a, a Big East title defense is still in the cards, or you know, do you you know, do you say, hey, no, I think I, I think I've seen enough. This is the, a, a title defense isn't likely. So I think. Quite frankly, I think the biggest barrier to a title defense is how damn good UConn is. Yeah, that's like, fair. I, I, would you would you agree that there is a line between us and UConn right now? Like UConn has been great; they have blown out almost everybody they played, and the they have a loss, but it was at Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse. Yes, a Kansas team that Marquette defeated, but uh, UConn looks awesome. Like I, I know we talked about them in the preseason as good, but maybe missing some pieces they have to replace. They've replaced all of them. And UConn is absolutely humming. Now, will they keep that up for two more months? Maybe. Maybe not. But um, as far as just focusing on one Marquette, because they can't control how good UConn is. They can just control how good they play against UConn when they get two shots at them. But I would say, uh, you know, when you lose a, a good player, you gotta you need to find some way to replace that production. And Omax was a huge part of what Marquette did a year ago. Uh, he was... Elite, not only elite defensively, but he had length uh, defensively. Like Stevie Mitchell is just as active as he was, perhaps even more so. But um, when, when you replace him with, uh, and, and Joplin is improving as a defender, but he's not an NBA level defender like Omax is. And Omax could also score, um, he, and he could find he could he could find ways to get to the basket. He could shoot three. So when he was out there, teams had to respect him. And so I think to replace what you lo- you lost with Omax, we were hoping for a leap forward from somebody. We don't need it all from one guy. We've talked about this in the past where we talked about replacing Justin Lewis, and we had this discussion in the preseason as well. 
how much of a leap forward would we see from Chase Ross? How much would we see from David Joplin moving into a starting role? Were any of these freshmen going to surprise us and be a major contributor? I don't think we've gotten a yes on any of those yet. And the, uh, the, the shoot, again, like I mentioned earlier, I think the shooting from the third guard, whoever it is, is not there and teams know it. And so that's a flaw. Whereas when Omax was out there, he could hit shots and he could also, he was also so big and strong that he could drive to the basket and finish over people. Whereas our third guards now really can't. So, um, and, and Joplin is not strong finishing in the post as well. Joplin's a guy who, he, he's still pretty good from three, he's 36%, but. Uh, he's maybe one guy in the country where y- you just you don't leave him open from three and you welcome him to drive because his three point percentage and two point percentage are very close. I think they're like uh, what thirty six percent, thirty eight percent, something right. like that. Yeah. So like so y- you welcome Joplin driving to the basket and hoping he makes a mistake in there. So um, y- I guess that's where I would leave it as far as what's the difference between this year and last year is th- there's there's a there's an extra piece that's just not quite there because I don't think there's been a third or fourth guy who has taken a a, move, a big enough step forward. And even if it's just a little step from three guys as opposed to a big step from one guy, um, I, I think you need that to replace that X factor that Omax brought a year ago. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. And, and I think, you know, maybe the way to articulate this is, um, you know, it's, it's not as clear cut. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's not as clear cut that like all the pieces are going to hum and we're going to replace Omax as a piece, right? Like, I think that's, that's the expectation miss, if you will, is, Hey, this, this team's just going to pick up and it's going to go and, and we're going to be great. Right. And Maui kind of confirmed that expectation. Now we're starting to see some doubt here, but what, what comes to what, you know, evoking Omax as an example, I think in November, December last year, Omax wasn't Omax either. Right, like, it, you know, Omax didn't really become that player until he hit conference play. Um, and I'm not saying that Joplin is or Chase is going to make that same leap or whatever here in conference play. Um, but but they weren't a fully realized um, machine until later on in conference season. I think it's it's fair to say I did not expect. Um, us to be a bit of a work in progress in the non-conference and to start the conference season, but I think we are a little bit. Um, the shooting, um, the shooting outcomes, like you said, are are not good right now. I'm still convinced, based on sample sizes, that there's going to be a positive regression in the mean. I'm not saying, you know, all of a sudden Sean and Chase um, or or Joplin from two are going to become lights out shooters or something like that. That's not what I'm saying is I'm just saying that there's going to be enough shots hit coming up here in conference play that it'll, you know, it'll make people have to take them a little bit serious. Now, I could be wrong, right? I just I have trouble wrapping my brain around. I was a 30 percent shooter last year. Now I'm a 19 percent shooter like that breaks my brain a little bit, especially when it's that's the issue. It's like, yeah, it's not that that uh, that that. Sean, Stevie, Chase are below average from three. It's just they're, they're just bad. They're just like they're they're 
other teams are saying, please shoot. Right. And, and so, like, if if it's if there's a seventy to eighty percent chance they're going to miss, teams will take that. Um, it's when you can get it up maybe below seventy percent that we, so when you're shooting thirty percent or a touch better, uh, maybe teams at least have to respect it a little bit and get out there, and then then that creates the space that you need because that's where Tyler and Cam thrive so much is when they get that space in the middle of the floor and Oso as well when they have the flexibility to drive to the basket and Cam and Tyler are so good at both shooting threes and finishing at the rim and just you know getting that English off the glass especially the way Cam could spin the ball off the glass uh, it's impressive to watch but it's harder for him to do that when the other team can pack it in right Yep, when they have that extra guy in the paint, and that makes it tough on Oso as well. And like Oso's versatility as both a ball handler and being able to back his man down, it's easier to do that when it's just him and one other guy. When it's him against two other guys, it gets a little trickier. Yeah, no, I I, I think that's spot on, and and so I just I, I think I think we have like as fans, there's some conditioning to go. Oh man, the the wheels are coming off the. Uh, off the train and and you know we're we're suddenly a bad team and stuff like that and I don't know that necessarily a lot of people are doing that but there's there's enough where I just I, I have a, a a reaction that says look this this team is still the team we thought the the approach works all this stuff if we either get a combination of luck or better execution or a little more mental fortitude. Um, which are all possible things. This team is right back to where we expected it. Um, I, but I think what's to be to be honest, I think what's going to tell the tale is the next two or three games, right? Like if they lay an egg against Georgetown, or you know they Ooh. get outclassed by Creighton at home, right? That like, you know that, or I think Seton Hall's next on the uh, or is the third team, right? Like the the last the, the yeah, good. It's Georgetown, Creighton, Seton Hall. Right. Those are the next three. So, so, and the good news is four of the next five are at home too. Uh, right. The Seton Hall game is the only one that's on the road. Right. So, and and I mean Seton Hall, um, Georgetown. Um, there's a lot to like. I don't know. You know, you so you've got maybe not Butler, but you've got you've got Villanova, Butler, Seton Hall, Georgetown, and Creighton. All you know between now and mid January, those are all teams that Marquette should you know should be able to beat right if they are who we thought we are so that's going to and they're at home so it shouldn't have this road head game stuff so you know the next three weeks will tell the tale if we if we struggle in you know any of these six games out or any of the five games outside of Creighton yeah we're gonna we're gonna have some legitimate worries now right like now it's kind of baked into the pie yeah, and th- see, that's uh, maybe a perspective thing because maybe if the first few games were reversed and maybe you started five and zero and then you drop this one to Providence, you still feel like you're in pretty good shape for making right. a run at a conference title. It's just, it's just when you are literally in last place <laughs> right now, you're zero and one, right? You, that's just not where you want to be, and so you, you've got now 19 games to make up for it. I Marquette, for what it's worth, is still favored according to Ken Palm in all but four games right now. So actually, right now, they're predicted to booth, to lose both UConn games uh, as well as road trips to Villanova and Creighton. Uh, yeah, I, so, I, based on what the conversation we had earlier, I, you know, unless things change for Marquette and or UConn, I believe we would lose to both lose both games to UConn. Yeah, it's hard to form an argument otherwise right now. 
maybe talk again in four or five games. Um, you know, maybe if you wipe the floor with Creighton on December 30th, maybe your perspective changes a little bit. But we need to see it. So, and yeah, they're, they're going to be a heavy favorite against Georgetown. Uh, as much as I would like to see Stevie Mitchell back out there, that may be one more game that you can win without him. And because, uh, yeah, not to, I don't know how much you want to break down a Georgetown game, Phil, but I you know, don't. Georgetown as little as possible. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean they're seven and five on the year. Their defense is near the bottom of the country uh, in uh, efficiency. Um, their offense is outside the top one hundred. They're just uh, they're not on Marquette's level right now, and I think that we all knew that coming in. Uh, Ken Palm has Marquette as a, 20, a nineteen point favorite going into this one, so I mean. Yeah, maybe the projections were similar for, uh, maybe more so for St. Thomas, but we knew how that one went. But Marquette still won. But um, I, yeah, this is a game Marquette should win, should win handily. They'll be at home. Yeah, it might be a quiet arena because it's three days before Christmas. I don't know how many students are actually going to be there. But th- there's really no excuse that you could form that would be accept- make it acceptable to lose to Georgetown. Oh, right? absolutely not. I mean, Georgetown and DePaul right. are the, the two teams you should absolutely 100% sweep. And and if Marquette loses to Georgetown or something like that, like Marquette shouldn't be ranked, right? And, and then I'll yeah. hit the absolute panic button. Now, the only caveat I'll put on that is, you know, depends on Chase's health, depends on Stevie's availability, right? I mean, if we're, if we're playing, eh, but even then, even if we have to play Trey and Zaid, you know, some minutes, you know, a dozen minutes or something like that, we should be able to beat Georgetown. So, like, I guess I, I'll remove the caveat altogether. We should just absolutely beat Georgetown. Yeah. It's going to be a question of how much. And if we don't, then by all means, please panic. Yeah, and I don't anticipate that being the case, to be sure. Uh, now, it, Georgetown actually shoots the ball okay from three. They're better than Marquette shooting the ball from three as a team anyway. But they are not very good at all as far as defending the paint. Not very good at all as far as scoring in the paint. Marquette should get a lot of layups, quite frankly. Layups and dunks uh, in this and game. And a lot of if, turnovers. Uh, three... <laughs> Georgetown uh, turns yes. the ball oh, over goodness. a ton. Oh, goodness. They certainly do. They are ranked 278th in the country uh, on turnover percentage on offense. And they don't turn you much over on the other side either. So they don't force turnovers, and they kick it around a lot. So Marquette should win. And, and again, big picture, uh, yeah, so for the next five are at home, Marquette favored to win all of them, including against the number nine team in Ken Palm, Creighton. Uh, so th- I think that will be so – basically, I would say, Phil, there's nothing that could happen in the Georgetown game that would make me say, hey, well, they're great now. They're, right. they're, everything is totally fixed. It's the Creighton game where you want to see, all right, I, I want to see you take a punch and get off the mat and defend a very good offensive team and – score on a very good defensive team, right? So it's like, let's just get past this Georgetown game without any disasters. Hopefully nobody else gets hurt, and then you get you have a nice Christmas, and then you come back on December 30th, and then you got a matchup against Creighton. And then I think that will tell, is are there some real flaws to this team, or you know, are we just going to shake off a tough couple tough road losses and keep going with this? Yeah, I, I agree. I like Georgetown is a get right game, right? And it's and it's also the other way I would describe it is it's a game that can't put anything on the table. But if you don't play well, it can take a lot of things off the table. So you know, right. you're never going to beat Georgetown and go, hey, we're fixed, right? 
Um, but but they should should be able to win that, and then really you know get some mental break, you know enjoy the holiday, kind of reset and and come back into that Creighton game. And I would anticipate maybe the um, you know maybe the Georgetown game has a weaker crowd again. As, as crazy as it is to say about Georgetown, like not not a very well thought of opponent, um, you know, right before the holidays, no students. So that might be a weaker crowd, um, you know, which is a bit of a tough look, but hopefully people go. But that Creighton crowd and, and we'll talk about it more when we actually pod about Creighton, but that crowd should be amped, ready to go. That's a holiday week. Nobody's you know, nobody's going to be working that day. Um you know, all of, all of that jazz, we should be able to, uh, um, we should be able to get that place rocking. Yeah, I think it's a uh, one o'clock game as well. Um, I want to say, and the only the Packers don't play that day. The Cowboys play that night. I know that because I tried to get a, a watch party going, and they say, "Wait, the Cowboys play that day?" But like, not, but not till that night. But so the Packers don't play. Uh, the Wisconsin Badgers football team does not have a bowl game that day. I do not believe. But there are some like other bowl games, but not uh, the championship games or the semifinals. Those are the next day, or the, they're on January first. So. And it's not New Year's Eve either, so you're not getting together for your New Year's Eve plans or any of that stuff. It's uh, the Saturday before New Year's Eve. So I, I'm with you, Phil. I think I think that'll be a raucous crowd, even with the students not on campus. I'm guessing those that live close by, will, those who live in the greater Milwaukee area or Chicago area, they would probably come back for that one. Uh, and I think all the fans who have season tickets would probably be there because this is uh, – there are probably only two more chances this year to see a top – 10 team play against Marquette this year and that would be when Creighton and Connecticut come there so if you're not coming for those games I don't know what games you're coming for right yep and and it's a must-win game right like at the, as weird as it is say early yeah. in the season it's must win if you want a title defense um I would I wouldn't even go that far because like when you say the term must win I always follow it with or else what right like like it, it, yeah okay you beat Georgetown you lose to Creighton you're one and two yeah, it's not good, but it's not over. Like, I mean, you still have 17 games after that to make up for it. You can go to Creighton's place and beat them, and then you've made up for it. So, I, I, I like, I get what you're saying, like, where you're coming from, as far as if, uh, like, if it's must win, if you want to be ranked in the top 10 the next week, okay, yes, from that perspective, it is a, it is a must win. Is it a must win if you want to be above 500? Then yes, it is a must win. Is it a must win to win the conference title? I wouldn't go there. Because... Again, 17 games after that. A lot of season to go. But it's a game you would very, very, very much like to win. Yeah. You, if, yeah. you want to be, if you want to be the conference champion, you want to defend your home court against everybody, especially the other contenders. Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair. I think the way I – as opposed to must win, I would say if we don't win, it narrows probability or narrows pathways to defend the title, right? Like – Yes, I because I, because if that happens, you would clearly say Creighton's a more serious contender than Marquette is. Yes, correct, correct. Yeah, like with, you're with at Connecticut the, being, yeah, yeah. With if you're looking at the real the possibility favorite. of like finishing third in the Big East. Exactly. So I get what you're saying when you say must win, but I take that phrase literally. Uh, the only must win are tournament games. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. Hey, and this hour of semantics has been brought to you by Joe and Phil. <laughs> That's what we do here. Yes. We state the obvious, and we act like it's intelligent analysis. Yeah, um, yeah I, 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 think, uh, I think I've think i hit on just about everything I want to hit on in this podcast. Maybe a briefer one, but uh, got some 
last minute holiday stuff to do before I uh, shut it down for Christmas. But uh, anything you had to get, uh, anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap this thing up, Phil? No, no, I. I think I think we touched on it all. Like I I think we're you know if I had to sum up this whole thing I think you know shocking I'm still optimistic I still feel good about the team though there is you know a little something nagging in the brain and I think you're probably more of the realist that says hey you know let's let's take a breath maybe maybe there's there's something negative there we got to be concerned with but let's not hit the panic button right. Yeah, yeah, I'm just dialing it back from like ten to nine. You know, that's all I'm saying. If like I'm, you know, I'm just saying I'm not going to use the phrase national championship contender for a while. Right. That's all I'm going to say. I, 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 it's not. I'm not drawing a line between good and awful. I'm trying to. I'm drawing a line between good and elite. I don't think they're elite right now. I want to get a chance against Creighton next week. You can make me use the word elite again. I might hold off and use them on that one for a little bit. That's all uh, I'm saying. Yeah, I think it's fair to say the month of December. They have not played elite. I, that's fine. I can live with that. I can live with that description. So, you know, as yeah, I sometimes say, we're, yeah, in, so uh, yeah. we're in violent agreement. Yeah, December. Yeah, the first game in December was Wisconsin. So Wisconsin, Texas, Notre Dame, St. Thomas, Providence. Texas was a butt kicking. They did great in that game, but we're not sure how good Texas is. Um, Notre Dame, obviously awful. And then you got two losses and then a sweat against St. Thomas. So, yeah. Have, they have not looked like a championship team, but there again, there are quite a few games left. Nineteen Big East games to prove they can be right in that mix. And the good news is you don't play Connecticut for a while. Right. Like, it, it, you have, uh, gosh, how many more? What, 10, 12 games before you actually get a swing at Connecticut? So if you got some things to fix, you've got plenty of time to fix them. Well, and now is the part of the schedule where we should and can fix them, right? Yep. Favored in... Uh, according to Ken Palm, favored in every game between now and the Connecticut game except at Nova on January 30th. I'll take it. And that they are a one-point dog. Again, just Ken Palm numbers, but that's what it is. All right, uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, as always, you can hit us up on Twitter X. I am Joe McCann 3. Phil is M-O-O-O-F 23 at Crack Sidewalks is the team handle. You can go to cracksidewalks.com. We post the podcast there. You can leave your comments on cracksidewalks.com. And as always, we appreciate uh, rate, review, and subscribe, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Everybody have a Merry Christmas. Phil, you and your family have... Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and we will check in probably after Christmas and get you uh, one more pod. So, Phil, hap- uh, happy holidays to you and the family. Yep, same to you. Enjoy uh, safe travels, and uh, we'll be back in a bit. All right, Merry Christmas, everyone, and we will talk to you after the holidays. Seashells and balloons. <laughs>